Today we're transitioning to a new worship series on the book of Jonah. Jonah takes place in the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And unlike the other Old Testament minor prophets, many of those prophets heard a call from God, and then they spoke those words that they heard from God to the people by writing them down and having them be recorded and then shared with the people in that way. Jonah's a little bit different in that we hear Jonah's story by narrative. It's a story. So instead of just hearing Jonah's oracle and his prophetic words from God to the people, we hear them by way of a storytelling narrative. And so in that, it's a really beautiful four chapters, and we'll be doing this for the next four weeks. So I invite you, wherever you are, to open up to Jonah chapter 1. It's kind of tucked away at the end of the Old Testament, so you might have to actually look at the table of contents to find where it is on that Bible in front of you. But we'll be reading Jonah chapter 1. Listen to God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Hapa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will not spare us a thought so that we do not perish. And the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more 
And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was in college, I was a double major at the University of Puget Sound, history of science on the one hand and political science on the other hand. And one afternoon, I went to go see one of my professors. His name is Bill Haltom, a great political scientist, one of the smartest constitutional law professors in the Pacific Northwest, and he was just a great teacher. And I was going there to see him so that he could review one of my papers, and we were going to discuss it together. And I walk into his office, and for such a brilliant mind and an expert in constitutional law, I thought he would be a bit more organized, but he had stacks of books scattered all throughout his office that were just piled this high, and he had taken people's papers and just stuffed them into manila file folders, and they were scattered everywhere. He was so disorganized. It was shocking to me to see such a disorganized office with such an organized mind and such a brilliant person. So we're sitting there in his office, and we're looking at each other in between the books and all the things that were in between both of us, and we're talking with one another about this. And then we start to talk about another class I was taking in the political science department, and I told him that the course was good, there was good material in it, but the visiting associate professor was not the best and was just not a good teacher, just couldn't connect with the students, wasn't really helping us learn the material. It was like we had to do it by ourselves. And I was planning on giving this visiting associate professor a bad grade in the review process that was coming up at the end of the semester. And Professor Halton looked at me and he said, Kurt, here's my personal philosophy. I don't give people bad grades on those reviews. I don't give people bad grades on those reviews because I figure if they're actually that bad, plenty of other people will say it and the decision will sort of be made for them. You don't need to be the one that has to do that. You can be a little bit more merciful as it pertains to giving feedback on that review for that visiting associate professor. I thought there was a lot of wisdom in what my professor had to share with me that day, and it's remained with me for a long time, because I think I find in myself an urge sometimes to play judge, to play the role of knowing what's best, what's right and what's wrong, and having to exert my sense of what's right and what's wrong in the world. But his wisdom of just saying, it's okay to be a little bit more merciful and let other people take care of that. You don't have to do that. You can let other people take care of that. You can be a bit more merciful. I share this story because I think for us, there's a way in which we like to be able to say what people should and shouldn't do, to play judge in a way. There's a part of our life too where we don't have to wait till the end of a semester to give a review on how people are doing. We can do that right away. We all have access and power through social media and our digital realities that we interact with one another to tell people whether or not they're doing a bad job or doing a good job. And we like to occupy this space of playing judge. But I think there's also wisdom for us in thinking about what it means to be merciful in the season of life 
I think about what it means to be merciful from the wisdom of God and his steadfast and abounding love. See, it's curious in Jonah's story, it starts out in chapter 1 with God coming to Jonah and God telling him to go to Nineveh because he's seen all these terrible things that have happened in Nineveh, God has, and he wants to send somebody there to tell them about it, to proclaim judgment on that city about all the bad things that are taking place there. And like many people in this world that might frankly love to take that place of Jonah and go to Nineveh and let them know about all the bad things that are going on in their life, instead of going, jo- going to Nineveh, Jonah goes as far away as he can possibly imagine physically from Nineveh. This text was written probably in the middle of the 6th century before the Common Era. And when it was written at that time, uh, Nineveh was sort of nearby Jerusalem in a certain area, and you could get there. But Tarshish is in the coast of Spain. So quite literally, in the middle of the 6th century BC, Jonah is going as far away to the ends of the earth as he possibly can from the call that God put onto his life. He goes the opposite direction. He goes down to Hoppe and gets on a ship and then goes out into the Mediterranean. And there's this incredible scene that takes place while he's on, t- on this ship in the middle of the Mediterranean. He's asleep in the bottom of the ship, kind of like Jesus. I don't know if you recognize that or heard that in the story. There's a scene where there's a storm happening in the sea and Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. And they pull Jonah up to the top. They cast lots to try to figure out who has done this, like what has brought this calamity upon them. Casting lots is like drawing straws. So they had the long straw, and it falls on Jonah. And when it falls on Jonah, the sailors begin to interrogate him. Who are you? Where are you from? What God do you worship? And after this interrogation, Jonah says two sentences. It says two sentences. And I think these two sentences contain profound good news in the story itself and also in our lives too. In the two sentences that he says back to them, he says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God who made the heavens, the sea, and the land. That's what Jonah says. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God who made the heavens, the sea, and the land. These two sentences are beautiful and filled with good news, and I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking these two sentences for us for just a little bit. I mentioned in the Easter worship service that I've been reading this book by Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel called Man's Quest for God. It was written in the 1960s, and it's a beautiful text. And I said two weeks ago that I didn't want to quote it because it was so beautiful, but it's so beautiful now that I feel like I must quote it. So I'm going back on my own words a little bit here, church, so forgive me for that. Have mercy for me, but I want to read some of these words because I think it will help us get into the context of Jonah, and we'll be able to hear really good news as we think about those two sentences about uh, Jonah's identity, being a Hebrew, and what it means to worship the Lord our God. And... In this text, I'm going to read two quotes. I'm going to start with the first part, and then I'll break it up, and I'll read the second part in just a minute. Rabbi Abraham Heschel was one of the most amazing Jewish theologians ever lived. And when he wrote this text uh, in the 1960s, you'll hear there's some words that aren't so um, 
gender neutral, and that's because he wrote it in the 1960s. I think if he were alive today, he would replace some of that. So it would say more like humanity instead of man. I don't think he would title his book Man's Quest for God if it was written today. Um, but the text is incredible, and it's very, very beautiful. And it comes in the context of a chapter on prayer and community. So listen to these words that Heschel says in the context of prayer and community about Judaism and being a Jew, being a, a Hebrew. This is what Heschel says. Judaism is not only an adherence to particular doctrines and observances, but primarily living in the spiritual order of the Jewish people, the living in the Jews of the past and with the Jews of the present. Judaism is not only a certain quality in the souls of the individuals, but primarily the existence of the community of Israel. It is not a doctrine, an idea, a faith, but the covenant between God and the people. I find this quote beautiful because when Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, what he is communicating here is that he's connected to this covenant relationship with God. In the Old Testament, this is such a key understanding about what it means to be a Jewish person or a Hebrew, is it's, yes, there are these observances that you must adhere to, as Heschel says, but beyond that, there's this covenant relationship with God. And covenant's sort of a fancy Old Testament word for promise. God makes promises to God's people that God will be their God, and they get to be God's people as a result of those promises. God makes this promise multiple times in the Old Testament. It's not just one time, but God's movement of steadfast and abounding love keeps coming to the people over and again. God keeps promising to be God to the people. In Exodus, God makes this promise a first time, but the people break their promise. They, they worship idols, the tablets break, and then Moses is instructed by God to go back up to Mount Sinai to, to write on two new tablets. And when he's standing on Mount Sinai, God goes before him again and says, I promise to you that I will be your God and my steadfast love and grace and mercy will abound forever with you to the thousandth generation. To the thousandth generation. So when Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, it's, it evokes this memory for the original hearers of the text back in the 6th century BCE, that we are a people of the covenant. We are a people of promise. God's promise extends through the thousandth generation. It doesn't go away even if you run to Tarshish. Even if you're on the middle of a stormy sea on a boat, that promise is there with you. Even when you're being interrogated by these people on the ship, Jonah, I am a Hebrew. Okay, I have one more quote from Heschel that I think is beautiful. One more quote. It, con it continues from where I stopped last time. It says this, Our share in holiness we acquire by living in the Jewish community. What we do as individuals is a trivial episode. What we attain as Israel causes us to become a part of eternity. The Jew does not stand alone before God. It is as a member of the Jewish community that he stands before God. Our relationship to him is not as an I to a thou, but as a we to a thou. 
whoa, okay, these words are profound and just amazing and beautiful. I think I have received you know, feedback in my life about what it means to be a Christian, that I should have a personal relationship with God. I should have a personal relationship with Christ. And no doubt, I mean, he says that's important. There's a sense of that being important. But when it pertains to understanding oneself as a person who worships the Lord our God, we don't worship by ourselves. There's no sense in which I ever worship by myself, but you do so as a member of the larger community. The promise that God makes God doesn't just make that promise to Moses. God makes that promise to the thousand generations that follow after. Jonah is a part of that promise. And when he says, I worship the Lord our God, he worships with the Jews of the past, with the Jews of the present. I just can't imagine how beautiful these words are that Jonah says to those people standing on that boat and in that time. Even though he was supposed to go to Tarshish and runs away, in this moment, his profound integrity And prophetic words come out in the midst of a strange space. It's not in Nineveh. It may come to Nineveh later, but for right now, it's right on the ship. He worships God as a part of this larger network and this larger community. And I think that's really good news for us, friends. Because in this season of shelter in place, what I'm thinking a lot about lately is, you know, our individualism, our sense of being isolated from one another. And because we've spoken about personal relationship with Christ Uh, We're missing out on the communal aspect of learning together and hearing insights from other people about their relationship with God. And so as we go deeper into isolation, it can feel even more isolating. And frankly, I can feel guilty if I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing these things enough. I don't feel enough mercy in my life or love in my life. And yet, what this is reminding me of is that we have a we to a thou relationship. We don't worship by ourselves. We worship together together. And that happens through the promise. It happens through the promise. So that even though there may be physical distancing from one another, we're held together through the promise. The promise that God will be our God and that we will relate to God as a we to a thou. We worship God together, even if we're physically distinct and separate from one another. We are connected together through this promise that God says to us. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, our God of heaven, who made the land and the sea. We are a community. We to a thou relationship. I was at a birthday party last year with some friends, and there's a lot of families around at this person's house in the backyard, and we were eating some lunch, and then after lunch, for a little while, we decided to go jump into the pool and go swimming together for a little bit with our kids. And we're having a great time. It was in the summer. It was a nice warm day, kind of like yesterday. And we were all in the pool hanging out with our kids. And my daughter was floating along, and I was holding her. And uh, some other children were in the pool. And then one of our friends uh, started to play with one of our other friend's children, who was in elementary school. And they were shooting hoops. They had a little basketball hoop next to the pool. And then he started, like, throwing him up to, so that they could do these big dunks on the pool next to it. And they're having so much fun. So the my friend decided to uh, throw him in the air just a little bit, this elementary student. And at first it was a little fun. He was getting maybe just one or two feet out of the water. And he said, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw you really big this time. I'm gonna throw you as high as I can possibly throw you, okay? And so the elementary student said, I don't know. I'm a little nervous about it, but okay, that's fine. And so my friend grabs him, 
and in the pool, drops down and just throws this kid high in the air, maybe 10, maybe 15 feet. It could have been 20 feet. I couldn't imagine. I mean, it was as high as you could imagine, okay? And he comes down, the boy hits the water and just immediately goes into tears and crying and hysteria. And we all had our eyes wide open and were shocked and we're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And his dad came over and just wrapped his arms around his son and he held him and he said to him, son, God has got you. If God's got you, there's nothing to worry about, right? We talk about this all the time. God has got you. God's got me too. It's going to be okay. And he just held him there for a while. And the son stopped crying. He stopped weeping. And the son said, God's got me, right, Dad? He said, yep, God's got you. This was such a beautiful moment to me that I got to witness because I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up with the church community. And so I'm always soaking in these opportunities to learn about what it looks like to parent children and tell them about faith and tell them about the promises that God has made to us. This person was a perfect example to me of a person who knows the promise. And it reminded me that we're in this together. This is a we to a thou relationship that we have, my friends. This is rooted in who we are in our history throughout all of the ways in which we've been grafted into the community from the time of Exodus through Jonah into now. We may be separated, sheltered in place. We may be distinct and separate. But friends, we to a thou, we worship together. And the promise that God says to us holds us together in this time. So we may feel physically distinct and separate, but I hope in your prayer and as you read the scriptures and as you hear these sermons and as you participate in life with the church in this time through Facebook Live, you'll feel the promise of God. Just like Jonah did when he was on that ship by himself. He felt the promise of God in that moment. He may have ran at the beginning of the story, but there's a moment when all the questions were asked to him, he felt it in the deepest of his hearts. The promise was there. I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the land and the sea. God is with me. God will be with me on this ship. God will be with me when I go into the whale for three days and three nights. God will be with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever you are in this time. The promise will hold us together. Join me for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for you. It seems silly sometimes to even say those words that we thank you for you, but it's true. We thank you for you, God, for how you continue to move towards us, move before us, as you did to Moses, that you called out to Jonah, that you call out to us in this time and in our life. And like that friend of mine who held his son, you say, I love you, I'm here for you, I promise to be your God. I hold you in covenant love, steadfast. So Lord, be with us in this time and in our life, and Lord, will you help us to remember that you hold us together by way of promise and love in you. God, we lift up this worship series to you and Jonah, and we look forward to all the ways that you will continue to speak to us as we look at this text together. Gracious God, be with us as we continue to worship you together as a community, we to a thou.
We pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.